Hello and welcome to Scouting the Culture, a weekly podcast series about the Carolina Panthers and their approach to the 2022 NFL Draft. We are a proud part of the Ride Network and please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you enjoy what we have to say. I'm your host, JJ Hardy. You can find me at Panthers Culture on Twitter and joining me as he does every week is Vincent Richardson, Managing Editor at the Ride Report. What's up, Vince? Hey, JJ. How you doing? I'm wore out, dude. I'm wore out and exhausted from this long emotional week. Uh, the, the first week of free agency. Um, just going back over how the week started, you know, with all the the rumors of um, our interest. I want to say rumors, to like the actuality of our interest in Deshaun Watson and, you know, watching day by day, waiting for that situation to play out. You know, it was kind of like a uh, episode or episodes of The Bachelor where Deshaun was able to basically just tell us who he wanted you know, to be his selections or at least the, you know, the the court. Um, and then, you know, one by one, eliminating people and just all the drama and the twist and the turns and, you know, to see it play out the way that it played out was just like an emotional week. But it was, it was exciting too. You know, it was exciting in the fact that, you know, once all of that played out, you know, we were able to see what looked like a pretty um, comprehensive plan from the Panthers and free agency, and uh, and that and and that was a really good um, start, I would say, you know, to free agency for the Carolina Panthers. But um, so yeah, it was it was a very emotionally draining week, but you know, I think it ended on a good note, and I'm excited to you know to see what happens next. I don't know if we have very much money to spend, you know, after what we spent, but it, you know, on paper, um, we still seem to be in good position. And um, so, you know, yeah, it was it was a, an eventful week, an emotional week. Um, and like I said, somewhat exhausted by it, but feeling optimistic. How about you? Yeah, I think uh, I'm you know, personally someone who was not particularly keen on the making a big move for Deshaun Watson. It was quite a relief that that didn't um, happen. Right. Um, I, I think it's a it's it's a fairly I say it's a very competent free agency period for the Panthers. And I think this is the, I think the thing that, that I found quite interesting is that, you know, understandably, like David Tepper and Matt Rule have attracted a lot of negative um, <laughs> coverage, both for how they've handled the Deshaun Watson thing and also just how the Panthers have done business over the last couple of years. Right. And I think Scott Fitterer has somehow managed to avoid quite a lot of the criticism. You know, he ultimately signed off on the... Um, on the Sam Darnold trade as much as any of the others did and was possibly more instrumental in that than, than Matt Rule or David Tepper. So, you know, I, I, I think the idea that he is just this kind of, you know, brilliant GM who is being dragged down by an owner and coach is a little bit optimistic. But I think the one thing he has shown himself to be is a really competent technocratic GM. Like, yes. I, don't, I don't think the vision and the clear strategy is always there. But when he's, particularly when he's made free agent moves and the trades he's made in the draft, even if you don't disagree with all the players and stuff, the 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 technical approach to what has been done is is clear and is really well executed, um, and I think that's that's a really encouraging sign. Like I think if you you know to be blunt, the Panthers are in a situation where they could have a new head coach in the next twelve months, yes. and and that that makes free agency really difficult because 
you don't want to go out and be really aggressive and sign guys to a load of five-year deals if a year later you think there's a 30, 40, 50% chance that you're going to have a whole new head coach, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, whole new schemes, and you're suddenly tied long-term to these players who make no sense in what you're doing anymore. And I think one thing that is really noteworthy of what the Panthers have done with a, a couple of exceptions, um, they've basically been one, two, and sometimes three-year deals. And when they have been three-year deals, they've mostly been very little guaranteed money year three. Yeah. And so like, regardless of what happens with all these players, and they could, it could go really well or it could go really badly, the this doesn't give you much long-term stability is the downside, but but the Panthers aren't going to be in a situation where they've got loads of dead cap in, in two years' time because they've had to move on from a load of people. Right. Um, the flip side of that is, as we've, and this is something the Panthers did a bit last year as well, but if those players work out, you're, they're then free agents a year later. You know, if, if Bradley Bozeman is the world's best centre next year, he's yeah. going to be a free agent and the Panthers will have to compete for him once again. But, right. but I think given... Given the context of where the Panthers are, I think that caution is a, is a really astute move by by Fitra. and yeah. I think also that they you know they have made you know we can have discussions about individual players and whether we think they're the right fits and all that kind of stuff. But I think they there is more of a strategy here than we've seen at times in their free agent approach. You know, not going out and signing subpar starters on the first day of free agency is a <laughs> yeah. nice change. No, I, I think it was definitely a, you know a lesson learned from last year. I think. Federer coming in last year, you know, with, you know, not just Matt Rule, but like Matt Rule's like supporting staff, you know, like, uh, you know, there was Pat Meyer, you know, was the offensive line coach, yeah. you know, and I think, you know, we, we didn't have a, a lot of alignment, you know, you had a young OC still um, and, and Joe Brady, you know, you had Pat Meyer, um, obviously, you know, they're not with us anymore. And I can't speak to, you know, how much they were involved in the, in the free agency process last year in terms of like having a vision for who they wanted on the team. But I think when you don't have that alignment, I think you end up with guys like Pat Elfline and Cam Irving, you know, who you just taking shots at to see if they really fit what you want to do. And then when they start playing, you realize like, oh crap, like these guys actually don't really fit in the roles we envision them in. And I think this year, what could have been different is, you know, now you have camping, you know, as the O-line coach and, you know, and, and hopefully, you know, they've been more involved in, you know, and in, in sharing like, you know, what do we need out of, you know, these guys, what kind of guys do we need to, to run the scheme that we want to run with McAdoo? And, yeah. you know, and, and, and they were more aligned in that way. And I think when you look at the type of um, offensive line guys that they've targeted and, and, and acquired, it's like, okay, you know, Corbett, Austin Corbett, you know, and, and Bradley Bozeman, like, they seem to be cut from the same type of cloth. Yeah, yeah the, 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 there's a very clear transition to more of a power run game, both, both yeah. in the signings of Corbett and Bozeman, um, but also with Dante Foreman as the kind yeah. of, you know, as a clear, you know, downhill pounded yes. running back. And I, you know, that I, I you know, I, I think both Corbett and Bozeman have some limitations as, as players. I don't think either of them are in sort of, you know, that all pro, pro ball category, but they're both, Right. Good players and good players who clearly fit a a coherent scheme identity. Like you know, yeah, they are they are both good you know good to very good run blockers who are passable in pass protection. Protection. I think I think you know uh, I mentioned this a bit on Twitter a bit, but you know, Corbett does have a quite plays with quite straight legs. Yeah, uh, and like when this goes wrong, like there's a clear pattern to his limitations, but but right. he also has strengths as well. And I I think if you're if you're mainly you know power running and then throwing play action off of that, that will both 
play to their strengths and also decrease the impact of their weaknesses. You know, if the Panthers end up, if things go badly wrong and the Panthers end up in a lot of third and eights this year, this is, you know, these are not offensive linesmen whose career is going to be made on third and eight. But but they are they are good enough that it's not you know complete disaster sellouts either. Um, and so you know it's not like if, if they end up in third and eight they're screwed. It's just that right. these, these guys that is not the strength of their game. The strength of their game is first and ten and second and five. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean I think with these type of guys you you know you hope to be in third and three and third and two a lot. Yeah, yeah, and and also like second and three a lot. So you know situations right. where you can make you know. Not only can you run the ball physically, but you can then take deep shots on play action off of that. And yeah. I, I think that is where these guys really come into it. And you know, we've shown you know Corbett's coming off coming off of a, a Super Bowl win in 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 Kansas City, and 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 the you know the Ravens have been pretty good in recent years. So like you, know, they can both contribute to winning football. It's not that this can't be. It's just it's a very particular style of power run type game compared to the more drop-back style of Brady. Right. I mean, and you made a great point. You know, they both come from schemes where, you know, the, the offensive coordinators like to run the football, um, you know, and 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 they, they like to use the play-action pass. And so, you know, those type of guys, you know, the fact that they targeted them tells me that McAdoo may, you know, do that a lot, you know, in you know, his game here in Carolina. And so, you know, yeah, it's just, it's good, you know, to see, you know, like you said, they, they probably won't be all pro offensive linemen, you know, may not even be pro bowl offensive linemen, but, you know, they tell us what their identity, you know, may be. And, uh, and it's, you know, and like I said, one of the down points for me last season was when Matt Rule came out like midway through the season and said, we don't have an identity. And I was so disappointed in that, you know, because I was like, man, you know, a year and a half into this thing, we don't even know who we want to be on offense. So, you know, they, they keep saying power, they keep saying they want to run the ball. Now they find an offensive lineman who who fit that. And yeah, so I, I, I think the lack of identity last year, I don't think it was that they didn't know who they wanted to be. It's that they had different ideas about who they wanted to be and they weren't fitting together. Like, yeah. you know, I, I think to their credit, Pat Elfline and Cam Irving, do have a schematic coherence. Like if you want to do a lot of outside zone type stuff, Pat Alfline and Cam Irving are quite good outside zone run blockers. You know, okay. that there is, there is some identity there. The issue is that that doesn't really pair super well with like five man protection drop back stuff. And also doesn't necessarily pair great with, we want to enforce running the football. Like the, the outside zone is much more of a, you know, big gain, big loss types, you know, you're going to have more tackles for a loss, but you get some big runs out of it. It's more, it's less like we're going to run three yards every time. And the issue was, is they got to points where they were trying to run the ball all the time, but without a scheme that really suited that and without players who could then change the scheme. And so, so I think it was, it was more because they were trying to do three things at once and they didn't work together than because they would just have like no clue who they wanted to be. But ultimately, yeah. the result was the same, and so it doesn't really matter how you ended up there, if if, if you end up in a bad place. Yeah, and, and and it's interesting you say that because, like, as you were just explaining that, I was like going through like my mental highlight reel in my mind, and you know, and thinking of what we looked like early in the year, you know, in terms of how we ran the football. Um, obviously, we started out with Christian McCaffrey for the first two and a half games, and then he got injured, and then we went to Chuba. But just stylistically, you know, when you know when we ran the football, you know, with the outside run stuff, I just remember how those runs look. And then 
know, when Matt Rule came in, I think ahead of the the Giants game and said he wanted to run the football like 40 times or whatever. You know, when we tried to do that, you know, running the same type of schemes, you know, over and over again, it just didn't look great, you know, and 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 so yeah, I don't think I we think were, it just the, the, the issue with the zone run is if, if you're going to try and run it 40 times a game, you're going to accept that you're going to end up in third and eight and third and seven. Fair, yeah, yeah. And, and you, you'll get first downs out of it as well, but there'll be times when it just doesn't quite work out and you end up in third and seven. And the issue is yeah. that the Panthers just could not deal with third, like third and seven, third and eight, third and nine was just a complete disaster for the Panthers. And that was yeah, really, and that was really particular in that Giants game. Like, because yeah. late on, I, you but sorry, just very quickly, but you know, people talk about like the Brady Christensen guard tackle game. The, right. like the last five minutes of that Giants game is a really good example of where his limitations are at tackle because when right. they were consistently stuck just throwing the ball and he was lined up against um, an edge rusher I can't remember who it was it was the uh, the guy who came from Georgia um, second oh you're egg. talking about um, Ajilari yeah yeah Aziz Ajilari and Ajilari just absolutely had him on toast just just yeah. was beating him inside and out and because yeah. The, you know and the Panthers just were not a team that could live in third and long and the yeah. issue with the outside zone is that you're going to get third and longs. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's a good point. And like I said, when you're watching it real time, you're not really even thinking about that, you know, but looking back, as I just did, I was like, man, yeah, it, it did look crazy, you know, when they tried to switch to like running the ball a lot. But then when you end up down and now you have to pass protect, um, you know, you just don't have the, the personnel to do that. And, and so, yeah, it, it was a mess. But Hopefully that's a mess that they learned from and, yeah. you know, and that they've, you know, obviously they, they're trying to address it. I'm just hoping that it works out. And so, you know, like, you know, it's so much to unpack, you know, with what happened in the last week. You know, let's see if we can go through, you know, some of the, uh, some of the additions we made, you know, just, yeah. you know, by the numbers. So if, if you don't mind, can you, can you start that out? Yeah, so you got Corbett and Bozeman, who we talked about a bit as the like the offensive line moves. Um, there's some probably the most significant defensive ones are Matt Ioannidis and uh, Wilson, the linebacker from Jacksonville. Um, yeah. So that sort of Ioannidis, I don't think he's obviously he's an ex-Temple guy. He got cut by the by Washington, so he was um, you know he he won't count towards any complex calculations, but also was was available fairly unpredictably. Um, and I I don't think. I think he does feel sort of a need. I think what it means is that you're no longer having to rush some of those young guys to start opposite Derek Brown. Like he's a natural three tech. He, he you know, yeah. he can play in the three or the four man front. Um, so I think he he gives you some time to develop the defensive tackles they've got. Now let me uh, ask you a question. Let me, I mean, before we move on from Ionidis, Ionidis um, is somebody that I've watched from a distance for the last few years, and I always thought he was very underrated mm-hmm. as a as a defensive tackle. Uh, I know that the now the commanders, the Washington commanders, um, over the years, they built up, you know, their defensive front. They went and got um, Jonathan Allen a few years ago from Alabama. Then I think they came back and got the run Payne. I think it was in that order, but I know they went. And got yeah, it was that order. And, and they got Settle as well that same year. The, who yeah, was just so signed they, for Buffalo. They had a yeah, really so good D-tackle group. Yeah, so they really deep at D-tackle, you know, three-tech type D-tackles. Um, and, you know, and obviously, you know, they have two great edge rushers. And and to me, um, I and I just, just, you know, kind of lost a lot of reps, you know, in that mix of tackles just based on, you know, being in, you know, you know, four-man fronts and, you know, having four or five good guys, you know, to play. I think he's, he's, so, he, he's also had some injury stuff as well, I think, the last year or two. I think so. Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah, which I think is – Yeah, he got, he got one, hurt this past year. 
Yeah, and I think the year before that he got hurt as well, I think. Okay, and see, I wasn't tracking the year before, but I knew I do know like what was it three seasons ago? You know where he had like eight and a half sacks. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's had really good sack production, and you can see watching him on tape, he, he used his hands really well. He's a really nice penetrative through tape. Yeah, I mean, and so I'm, I'm, I hope that he's healthy. You know, yeah. number one, we talked about you know missing games due to injury. Um, I hope that we're getting the guy who's coming in healthy. Um, but I am excited because I, I was telling someone. Uh, one of my friends, you know, Panthers fan, um, that Derek Brown is going into his third year. And, you know, we, we don't know if we're ever going to get like the sack production that's going to satisfy everybody's desire for him, you know, you know, because he was the overall seventh pick, you know, a couple of yeah. years ago. Um, but I, I mean, I think he's, I think he's still been solid, you know, for, for what he's been asked to do. And again, he's just going into his third season. I think one thing that he hasn't had, um, even going back to the, you know, to his rookie year, you know, was I think KK getting hurt really kind of hurt him. Yeah. Um, and his growth. I think going into last year, I think the Quan Jones, you know, playing beside him, at least early on, I thought that was good for him. Um, but, you know, they just tapered off, you know, as the year went. And, you know, he ended up getting benched one game. And, you know, that's debatable as to, you know, why, you know, but, but now, you know, seeing him get somebody like Ioannidis, you know, potentially lining up beside him, I think, you know, that's going to allow him to just be who he is. And hopefully he can just be the best version of the type of player he is. And we continue to see some growth out of him. But, you know, and then you have, you know, the, you know, the other guys like Davion Nixon, um, you know, Hoskins, you know. And so I think, um, I think, you know, that's a pretty decent defensive tackle rotation. Probably could stand to, to add another guy, I guess. Yeah, I, I I think probably no. I I think it probably stays where it is. I, I think the I think Ionidas is a good complement to Brown. I think also I think it's one of those things where I think Ionidas is similar to what I think Nixon and Hoskins can develop into. Like okay. I think he's he's a good player to for them to develop as like direct. You know, he, he can play the role that they could play down the line. But I think also the thing with Derek Brown is. Like I think Daquan Jones was a good veteran leader and a good guy to try and develop who Derek Brown is. But yeah. I think the issue is, is that Daquan and Derek Brown were both very similar players. Okay. Um, and I think one that like quick, nose tackle, like nose yeah, tackle. Nose tackles who can play some three tech, but are, but are essentially are like good run defenders who aren't necessarily super amazing pass rushers. Yeah. And I think the and also who 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 aren't. Yeah, I think they also had some issues where when they had both guys on the field, it, it limited what they could do. It made them quite vulnerable to outside runs. Right. Um, but but also I think what Ioannidis does really well is the stuff that Derek Brown does not do well. And if Derek Brown can learn from Ioannidis and build that into his game, I think that is what takes him to that next level. I'm, yeah. I'm not super optimistic that he's going to suddenly you know become this complete you know all-conquering defensive tackle. Right. But I, I think if he can, particularly like you know, his, his the consistency of his hand rush, hand usage as a pass rusher, and his pad level, I think if he can improve that, then that would make a huge difference to what he is as a player. Well, I'm I'm hoping to see it. I, I know when I was watching him last year, I went up to camp and I was talking to some guys on the sideline who was, um, you know, I would say their their experience with defensive line play, and the one thing that they mentioned was that he really needs a a good secondary move. Um, and like you said, you know, keep his pad level, you know, lower and stuff like that. So, you know, this is year three. Um, I looked at him compared to other 
you know, defensive tackles who were drafted as high as he was. And I, I don't think he's behind schedule. I just think that a lot of people complain about Derek because they want big time sack production. I, I don't know if we'll ever get it. But I'm hoping a guy like Ionitis being, you know, in the lineup, you know, as a three tech and a more natural three tech, you know, allows us to get that sack production from the interior pass rush. And, and Derek Brown just continue to do what he does. And, you know, one thing that people don't realize with Derek Brown and and maybe and not to spend a lot of time about him because this is about the free agents. Um, but, you know, he's not even in the game a lot, you know, doing yeah. pass, you know, doing, you know, like third down situations, you know, obvious pass situations. And so, you know, sack production, you know, takes a hit on that too. You know, when you don't get the opportunities, you're not going to get the numbers. And so, but you no, know, regardless, you know, they, they brought in a, a natural three tech. I hope I and I just can be um, healthy, you know, yeah. and be available um, because I, I do think he's a, a an upgrade, you know, for the defensive line. Um, Daquan Jones was a loss um, and I think he was solid last year. No yeah, but I, I, it would have made no sense for them to bring him back again. I, I, I think it, it would have been just a failure to recognise that a change was needed. I, I think he's a yeah. good player. I just don't think he fit in with what the Panthers needed defensively. He was more yeah. of the same rather than a compliment. Yeah, and then, and then you know, also to mention, you know, we lost Fox as well. You know, yeah. so I think I not is I don't know if Fox was like a three tech. He seemed like more of a five, right? Yeah, so I think that's the thing is like I I, I think that the, the the really positive thing about Ionidas is that he can replicate some of what Daquan Jones did and some of what um, Morgan Fox did, which yeah. which which creates room for some of the other defensive tackles to come in and fill more of what Morgan Fox did. Uh, and no, sorry, Daquan Jones did, and also some of the edge rushers to fill in some of what Morgan Fox did. So I think yeah. this creates more space both for Ito Gross Matos, but also for Nixon and Hoskins to come in and play more three tech. So I I, I think it's a it's a logical. If you replace Daquan and Morgan Fox with Ionidas, I think that is a logical move. Okay. Well, you know, that's that's enough about Ionidas for now. You know, you mentioned Wilson as yeah. a pickup. Um, and you know, he was a he's a linebacker. So can you talk to us about Wilson a little bit? Yeah, so he's a, a fairly conventional middle linebacker. Um, I think he he allows Shaq to play sort of that outside linebacker role where he has been much better than he was as a middle linebacker. Mm-hmm. Um I, I think he probably doesn't give you anything vastly different to Jermaine Carter. I mean, they're both, you know, plus run defenders who can add some value as blitzers and can be effective in zone coverage, but are not going to play tons of man-to-man against tight ends and running backs. Um, I think this is quite an astute move in the sense that I don't think they've either paid him so much or or have built so much around him that they could draft a linebacker. If, you know, if they added a day two pick, if they, if they trade down and add a day two pick and take a linebacker in the second or third round, I don't think like Wilson gets in the way of that. I think right. Wilson can he can play. Do you remember sort of late in the 2020 season where Tahir Whitehead, where Jermaine, Jermaine Carter had basically taken over from Tahir Whitehead, yeah. um, but in like two tight end and like obvious run situations, they'd have both of them and Shaq. So he's yeah. like he's like the third linebacker, but rather than being that nickel linebacker, he's almost the inverse nickel linebacker, where you right. start you start in your nickel look. And yeah. only you then go to the three linebacker set in the run heavy looks. And I think he could, Wilson could play that role if they drafted a more sort of pass focused linebacker. So you could have Shaq and a linebacker, you know, a draft linebacker on, you know, most third uh, downs and, and, no, but they could play as like, like um, the, if you, if you're playing a nickel, you play with those two guys and you only bring your mic in when you go to run sets against three, you know, two tight ends or fullback or that yeah. kind of stuff. I think you can I do it that way. So, so, so where you, you, you give you the run defense when it's needed, but you're not having a, a effectively a sub um, coverage player. Um, yeah. 
on the field all the time just for the sake of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see that. And, and like I said, I I know Wilson. I've seen him play, you know, for the team, like he was in Jacksonville last year. I think he was in Kansas City before that. Yeah, I think um, he's been Dallas before that as well. In Dallas before that. So he's, you no, know, he's bounced around a little bit. But, you know, like you, I think he basically comes in and, and supplants, you know, the role that Jermaine Carter played. Um, what does that mean for Carter? Do you think he's out as, you know, as a potential free agent target for the Panthers? you think they just let him walk or what happens uh, to I get the feeling that's probably what's going to happen. I mean, don't me wrong. It depends on money. All these things depend on, like, barring like the top guys, it all comes back to money. So I, 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 they are so thin at linebacker still that I think I would have no problem with them bringing Jermaine Carter in. Because if nothing yeah. else, he gives you a really solid special, special teams guy who can play some yeah. snaps here or there and cover for yeah. injury. Um, I yeah. think this is the argument against trading Denzel Perryman last year was that even if he's not going to start, like, getting a sixth round pick back is not that valuable. And you, that you need some depth. I mean, they were lucky that Shaq got hurt for a bit, didn't he? But like, you know, they, they lacked linebacker depth last year. And I think um, Carter would give you some of that. Um, I think the other defensive player I forgot to mention earlier was um, Woods, uh, safety. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. I, again, I think this is not some kind of defense changing move, but I think he gives you a, a, a conventional free safety who can play center high and allows Chin to, to move down more into the box. And then I, I don't think they'll go as far as playing him at linebacker like they did as a rookie. But I right. think he, I mean, he's best around the line of scrimmage. Like he should, he should be playing around the line of scrimmage. Well, let me ask you this question because Trey Boston started a lot of um, insanity on Friday, you know, with, you know, saying that, you know, a, a safety was on the way, basically. And I forget uh, what that exact tweet uh, said, but he uh, made. A, I, I must say, a, I I assume that was about him going to work for the Panthers media. I, I mean, I, I don't know if that's the case, but I I I, <laughs> you I think my, that's what it was. My, my mind jumped to Trey's joining the Panthers media rather than they're going to sign Terry Matthew. I mean, well, I, he, I mean, he might he might have um, got himself out of the job from coming out with that goofy tweet, you know. But I was thinking that you know it was crazy, man. I'll just give you a quick story. I want to so I'm I'm on. Twitter, you know, Friday morning and, you know, just trying to stay on top of everything that's coming out because it was an exciting day. Um, I think we had just found out the night before that we were out on the Sean, mm-hmm. right? And so I was like, oh, you know, that means we go into plan B mode where we start signing people, hopefully. And I was looking for, you know, offensive tackles and stuff like that. And so I had a surgery mm-hmm. uh, on, on Friday morning. And so um, hand surgery, I broke my finger and and so I was like, man, you know, like I'm sitting there waiting in the operating room, you know, with everything on, like I got the IV hooked up to me and then, you know, they let me keep my phone, you know, until it was time to go back. And I think, I think the last thing I had saw before um, I went into the room, I think we had signed somebody, it was like a rumor or whatever, uh, that somebody was being signed, but I was checking Twitter and everything. And then you know, the, the guy came back, you know, the, um, the nurse, the nurse anesthetist came back and started talking to me. Um, and then next thing I know, man, it's like, like two hours later <laughs> and I wake up <laughs> and because, you know, by the time I, I go to, like, I think by the time I actually go back, it's like 12 o'clock or something. And, um, and I woke up at like one thirty, two o'clock, you know, and I'm groggy and, and, you know, they give me my phone and I'm checking my phone and like all these updates are in my phone, you know, from notifications from Twitter and people sending me DMs and asking me questions about people. Uh, I have been having a conversation with someone about DJ Moore and it was a very interesting conversation. But 
it, it was around him being potentially traded, right? Yeah. And so I woke up to a message saying, well, I guess the trade is off because he's going to get paid, right? You know, he's just got paid. And I was like, he just got paid. So I'm trying to, you know, like I go through Twitter and try to find, you know, some type of notification, you know, about DJ Morgan paid. And as I'm going through the notifications, looking for DJ Morgan paid, I'm seeing Hecker signed. And, you know, I'm seeing uh, it was somebody else who was signed. And I, I think was Bozeman like, as well. Bozeman, and I, yeah, and I yeah, it was like these other signs, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like what happened? You know, like all this happened when I was gone, like when I was out to anesthesia and it was so nuts to wake up you know, to like all those different signings. And I finally got to the DJ Moore extension and I was like, oh my God, like what happened? I even like went out and tweeted, you know, like like I had just got a source or something saying, I think DJ Moore is about to get, you know, get signed. And he had been signed like two, three hours. Yeah, it was before, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it was, it was just a funny story, man. Like, and I was playing catch up and I was still woozy. And it was so bad. Like once I saw the updates, um, you know, they they wheelchaired me out to, to the car. My wife, you know, she, um, she takes off and, you know, we, we head out and I was hungry because I hadn't eaten since like yeah. the day before in preparation for surgery. And I was hungry. Um, but I went to sleep again and like everything, like it was Friday was just nuts because I'm trying to stay on top of everything. I, I don't know what happened. I'm still like in my mind, like everything happened, but like it don't even feel real to me because I didn't see the notification yeah. to go play back or catch up on them. But it was, it, I mean, so, so yeah, man, it, it, it was a, uh, a crazy way to to get through free agency. I'm just like, look, I've been tethered to this phone for a whole week, and like the the one moment where I'm like totally checked out, you know, just unconscious is like when everything happens. So, so uh, yeah, that's that's my luck, you know. But uh, but yeah, I mean, but you can get back on track. I just want to take no, 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 no. I, I think that's that brings us very neatly to the next thing to talk about, which is the. Uh, the extension of, of DJ Moore and the re-signing of Dante Jackson, which has kind of been been one of the big things. I think, you know, uh, I think the DJ Moore re-signing, I think, is 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 good. Um, you know, it's a lot of money, but he's been very productive. And I think, crucially, I think, you know, the Hassan Reddick thing we'll talk about in a bit, because I think that's a bit different, but yeah. you, you don't want to let your good players go. You know, you know, you, you if, if you build a championship roster, you can't keep everyone. Um, you know, that's just that's just an inevitability. The Panthers found that with Josh Norman and all. Yeah, you, know, you, you can't keep everybody, but yeah. if you can't keep your key guys, that becomes a real problem because then you're not just having to draft a good team; you're having to draft a replacement for your good players as well. Yeah. And I, I think TJ Moore has been, you know, I, I think he he is a very particular type of receiver, and I think the Panthers, I think the the, the scheme change should really help him because I think you know. He is at his best when he's working against man coverage down the field. That that is where he is. You know, he's good in other areas, but that's where he's really great. And yeah. if you're going to go to a run heavy play action based passing game, yeah. that should absolutely play into that. You know, he 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 should be playing. He should be have a you know, he should be really good this year in this new scheme. Robbie Anderson yeah. should too. It plays into both of their hands perfectly. I think they are both really good fits in 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 what they're trying to do offensively. You just need some other pieces to allow them to just keep going deep. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, extending him, I, you know, I think this is just a really good move. I, I, you know, even if it doesn't end up being, you know, even if it doesn't become this all pro superstar receiver, I think he is a key part of what they're doing offensively. And I think is, it, it, it is symbolically really important to, you know, you don't want to end up just losing guys all the time. Well, um, I mean, and, and, and it's good for you to say it that way, because admittedly, and I'm just to be consistent, 
I have included DJ Moore in my hypothetical trade scenarios a lot mm-hmm. on Twitter, you know, this this um, off season. And I think people get it twisted when they hear me or when they see me tweet things like that, you know, but, you know, I, I get to this point in the year when I'm preparing for the draft and not just because we do scouting the culture it's because I actually believe in building through the draft. Yeah. Right. And, you know, coming off a five and 12 season where we don't have but one pick, you know, in the first 100 or so. I'm thinking to myself, like, how do we get more picks? How do we get more picks? Because we need to, you know, we need to improve this roster. We need uh, positions, you know, across the offensive line. We need, you know, defensive um, secondary help. We need linebacker help. We need so many different things. How can we get to that? And so I don't just pick a player like DJ Moore, you know, who I know has been, you know, one of our best offensive players and probably the top skill player because of uh, Christian McCaffrey's injuries over the last two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't just pick him and say, I want to trade him because, you know, I want to get rid of talent. But I look at where we are, you know, in, you know, with a player's contract, you know, where they are, you know, um, in terms of, you know, how they're being viewed around the league and, you know, trying to think like who would, who would, yield the, the highest return and you know in terms of trade assets you know and, and so dj moore was somebody where I, when i looked him up i saw that if he was traded we would have saved like 12 million this year yeah. and you know because of his production he probably would have got us like a, a good at least a second round pick and, and and for some team maybe even the first and so i had thrown him out there as a as a trade candidate um, because i just wasn't sure if the panthers we're going to ever pay him. And I just didn't want to let him walk. You know, no, I, 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 I think that's exactly the point. I think that's something they, they, they really should have learned earlier, but do seem now to have finally learned that yeah. if, if you're not in a position to compete, you either need to trade or retain these kind of assets. Right. Um, you know, at best, if he walks in a year's time, at best, they get a third round pick for him. Depending yeah. on what they do in free agency, they might get nothing for him. And, right. and, and, you know, that's something that they learned with Curtis Samuel. They didn't really get very much back for him. Um, you know, they probably won't get much back from Hassan Reddick. They probably won't get much back from Gilmore if he walks. Right. You know, you, 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 when you have really good players, you either need to cash in or you need to pay them. You know, yeah. unless you're in that narrow window where you're willing to just, you know, let them help you now and then they'll walk after the season. You know, right. if you're in a competing window, it's different. But if you're a you new... Know, the Panthers are still rebuilding, and so they either need to turn assets into draft picks or retain them long term. And I think with yeah. DJ Moore, they they pick the latter, and that is fine with me. I think what they can't afford to do is just that hedge in the middle of yeah, we'll let him play out his contract, and then maybe we'll resign him because yeah. then you end up getting you, you end up getting the worst of both worlds rather than yeah. the best of both worlds. So I mean, you know, just you know, the the, the cap my thoughts on it. Overall, I do agree that it's a good deal. Um, you know, just north of 20 million per year. Uh, but that's mostly due to, you know, this is, you know, 2022 and, you know, and he just got a new deal and he didn't reset the wide receiver market, but his contract is, I think is like number three or number four um, yeah. overall in terms of um, average per year. And, you know, as this contract matures, you know, you'll see other receivers, you know, maybe sometime this year or next get extensions or yeah. new deals that's going to be even higher than that and that'll move down the you know yeah. down the line in terms of where it sits. Jefferson, Metcalf and the like are going to completely reset that market, I'd imagine. Uh, you know, you know, there are a lot of receivers who are going to get paid in the next year or two and we'll, he'll go from third, I'd imagine, to sixth or seventh. And I think that's about right. Yeah. And I think, you know, based on what he's produced over the last three years, you know, in terms of uh, you know, yardage, 
I think if he stays on track and, cons and consistently does that, um, hopefully, you know, we get some uptick in, in touchdown numbers. Yeah. Um, but I think the thing that we owe DJ Moore now, um, or not even just DJ Moore, but owe, you know, the team is to get a quarterback for him and the other receivers um, who can, you know, and, and, and it's a lot more, you know, offensive line who can protect long enough, but, you know, but a quarterback who can push the ball downfield and take advantage of all the things he can do, you know, on, on deep routes too. So I'm excited, you know, that, you know, we do have um, a wide receiver locked up, you know, he's produced, he's earned it. I just want to get him a quarterback who can get him the ball in all the places of the field so he can be even more dangerous. Um, so that's DJ Moore. You know, you mentioned um, Dante Jackson's um, yeah. new deal. And, yeah, we, um, so what, what do you think about Dante? I mean, we talked about this about last week, so I'll try and do it fairly briefly. But I, I think this is a fairly good move. I mean, I think this is about a, sort of maybe the upper end of what I thought he'd get paid. But I think this is kind of it's, they haven't massively overpaid him. Um, right. I think he gives you a couple of things. I think he he does some things really well. You know, he, he's got really good deep speed. He's got great ball skills and he's got good enough movement skills that he can, he can stick with, with most receivers in man. Um, yeah. You know, he's, he's a matchup guy. You know, he, he's on the shorter side and with really short arms. So like, you know, right. like he's got, you know, I remember it was a couple of years ago, he, they stuck him on Mike Evans for a half or something and that yeah. went badly. And it's like, well, yeah, but that, that's, yeah. That, that's, that's not, you know, he should not be covering Mike Evans. That's bad job as a defensive, you know, set up. You should, you should have avoided that matchup. Yeah. Um, but but he has you know like Tyreek Hill or any speed that he is a really good matchup for them. Yeah. Um. So you know he has really good matchups. He he is a genuine leader on defense, and I think he also does give you some versatility. I think I think I mentioned this last time, but I'd be keen to see him play a bit more safety this year. Yeah. Um. Not not actually like all the time, but I know they've used Miles Hartsfield. They've rotated between like nickel and free safety. Um, yeah. and, and I think you could use Dante in a similar way because I think that ball skills and range I think would make him an instincts as well he has he has and he's you know crucially he's become a genuinely good run defender yeah. um and I, I you know I don't think this is a I don't think he is a feature defensive player I I think on Twitter or Instagram or somewhere he, he put something comparing himself to to uh Thomas Davis and the not actually as a player but the kind of the role he would like to build he would like to be a Thomas Davis guy a guy who does stuff both in the community and on the field and I think that's yeah. uh I think that's quite a good comp. Obviously, they're not, they play different positions and all that kind of stuff. But Thomas Davis was never the centerpiece of the Panthers defense. Right. Like he was never that guy, but he was yeah. a guy that did did things well and added value and was a really good like second-tier player. And I think that's what Dante can be. Yeah, He's not I mean, JC Horn can be your number one lockdown corner. Dante is not that guy, but he can be a really good defensive, you know, versatile defensive back who does a lot of things well. Yeah, I think when it I think. Dante is is Thomas Davidson the fact that he's the he, I think he's the glue guy for them right yeah you he's, know, he's the vocal leader he's the vocal leader um, you know he's the guy that they can depend on or if he stays healthy you know but he's the guy that they can depend on uh, because he's going to show up he's going to do his job you know they're going to be able to hear him I saw the excitement from Jeremy Chen you know who immediately tweeted out you know his excitement once they had signed Dante I think for guys like Chen who came in last year. You know, when the team was very new, not this past season, but the 2020 season. Yeah. Um, when Chen was a rookie, um, I think the time that he was able to spend with the defensive backs in his rookie year, um, I think, you know, uh, they looked up to Dante as being um, the leader of that young group. And I think mm -hmm. going into year two, I think he even stepped even more into that leadership role um, in year two under uh, Phil Snow's defense. 
And I think, you know, like, yeah, I saw that, you know, that statement about, you know, him being able to see Thomas Davis's influence, you know, in on the team and in the community. And um, and he, he wants to emulate that. So I, I think they I think they have a, a good guy in that, you know, I, I would like to see um, you know, them use him more, like ever since you mentioned the fact that he has like the safety skills. Um, I look for opportunities for teams, especially in the modern um, NFL, you know, to be able to like put their best players on the field and, um, and keep the best players on the field. And so in scenarios where, you know, we have guys like J.C. Horn, you know, you got Jeremy Chan. Now you have Xavier Woods, you know, who can play both safety roles. Um, you know, you can slide some of these guys around. You can move yeah. Chan up. You can move Xavier over. You can pull Dante back. You can put C.J. Henderson or Keith Taylor in on the other side. You know, yeah. you can get all these guys on the field at once. So um, I'm, I'm overall pleased. You know that they brought Dante back. I guess that probably means that Stefan Gilmore. Yeah, I'd, ima- I'd imagine he's back. gone. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we're sort of we, we are running long as always. So I just <laughs> to, to to really kind of summarize some of the stuff. Um, as you mentioned, Hecker. I mean, yeah, he's yeah. a very good punter. Um, like you yeah, know, again, punters very rarely completely changed straight. You know, the fates of your your team. But you know, right. that's a that's a very good signing. Um, yeah. I think Higgins is a. a useful part of that rotation of the receivers or that four, five, six. Um, let, me, let me ask you something about Higgins. You know, I know we, we're running a bit over, but I want, I want to get some clarity on something, you know, just from your analysis. Um, so we have DJ Moore. Yeah. Trenches our number one now. Uh, Robbie had his contract restructured. So when I see stuff like that, I'm like, okay, you're, you're going to be here, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> at least for another year. Yeah. At least for another year. But I, I see him sticking around now because now his money would be moving to next year. So, um, so we have DJ, we have Robbie, that's one and two. Then you have um, the Terrace Marshall, Zilstra, Higgins, you know, part yeah. of the, the I, wide receiver room. So I, I think Higgins is in that Zilstra and um, is it Smith? My mind's going completely blank. But um, Shy yeah, Shy Smith, yeah. I think he's in more in that kind of tier. I think Marshall, in a way, is in this. He, he's in kind of his own role in that his ceiling is still that of a number one slash two receiver, probably more of a number two than number one. Yeah. Um, but his production last year and his play last year was bad, frankly. Yeah. Um, so I think he's still this uncertainty. I, I, I think like Zilstra and Higgins are guys who have a role as a rotation. They can be out there as number three, four, five receiver, do their job, play special teams, etc. but are never going to be the stars of your, your roster. I, I, I think Marshall, there is a role for Marshall to make his own. Um, yeah. But I think they have enough depth with Zilstra and Higgins that if he doesn't, they're not going to suddenly be, you know, I think one of the issues they had when McCaffrey uh, went down in the beginning of the 2020 season was that they had these situations where you had guys, oh God, was it Seth Roberts they had as their number three that year, number four well, they receiver. Had, they had um, Farrell Cooper coming in. And yeah, it was, it was Seth Roberts and Farrah Cooper. Seth Roberts, yeah. We had and, Seth Roberts for a while too. Yeah, and, and you had the situation where like they were just complete, you know, you could just play one-on-one with your, you could see your number four DB on Seth Roberts and he's just <laughs> not getting open. And it's, you know, right. and, and you effectively just take out an offensive piece. If you leave your number four DB on Zilstra, he's going to get open a fair amount. If you do it on Higgins, he'll get open a fair amount. So they, they have guys who can be at least competent, if not stars. I think there is still... I, again, it depends on how they view Marshall. I think if you think Marshall's going to make that step, I think you can leave that alone. I think 
it probably won't come from receiver, frankly, but I think there is space for a a bigger body receiver slash tight end who can create more intermediate separation against man coverage. Yeah. Um, I think there is still that guy missing, but I think given the investment in Moore and, and Anderson in, in the way you've mentioned, I think that's probably more likely now to come from tight end um, than it is from receiver, at least at least for this year. Because I think you you I don't think you could go and draft a receiver early because of what Marshall, you know, the uncertainty around Marshall, you have to give him another year to to, to see what he can do. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I I I think uh, Higgins is a decent pickup, but I don't think he you know, radically changes anything. But th- these are useful players to have. Um, I think the 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 only thing to mention um, that we haven't already is what they haven't done. Um, notably, they haven't added a quarterback, which I think right. probably makes the drafting of a quarterback even more likely. Uh, right. They haven't had an offensive tackle yet, though they have today been linked with Dwayne Brown, which might have happened right. by the time right. this podcast comes out. Um, and I think that would be a good signing. In a way, I said this before we started recording, but I prefer that to the Armstead option, if only because I think Dwayne Brown would be a one or two year deal in all likelihood. I think he's a good scheme fit in what they're doing currently. Um, but obviously, as an older player who is towards the end of his career, he also gives you a chance to stick him at left tackle, move Christensen into guard, and then you can always draft someone to develop behind him. But you can do that without the Christensen versus rookie conflict at left tackle or, you know, the thing you don't want to end up doing is spending the next year and a half trying to play Christensen at tackle because you don't have another option, only to then decide he is a guard, but you haven't been playing him at guard for three years. I think if you're going to move Christensen to guard, do it now. And someone like Dwayne Brown, it's a similar role to what Okung played, I think, as you mentioned um, before we started recording. It's that kind of, he can be the guy that allows you to drop, you know, in an ideal world, Okung would have allowed you to develop Greg Little to then step in and be that guy. And right. I think... I think um, Dwayne Brown gives you the chance. It means that if you draft a tackle, if you trade down and you draft a tackle in the second or third round, you can develop them behind Dwayne Brown without there being the this guy has to start right away panic. Well, you know, you know, you know, thinking about that, I know that the Panthers, whether it's true or not, has you no, know, they've been linked to um, the tackle Penny. Yeah. Um, and, and so if they went, and I, I don't love Penny as a prospect, but you know, if that's somebody that they wanted to, you know, trade down and get later on, yeah. and then he was able to sit behind somebody like Brown for a year or two, that would make more sense to me. I think that's the thing. It's like there are very few tackle prospects who are, like, pro-ready. You know, right. like, Jedrick Wills was, Tristan Wirth was. But right. even, even even guys who've become really good sometimes have taken a little bit of time. Yeah. Um, and I think this draft class in particular – there are guys like Penning. I mean, I quite like um, Petit Frere, the um, the Ohio State tackle. But all of them are guys who need work. Like even right. um, uh, Equanu, is it the the NC State tackle? Um, oh um, yeah, Equanu. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like has lots of potential, but is also not the like plug and play. You know, again, it's it's, it's a still developing player you're dealing with, and yeah. I think although he's probably more pro ready than some of the other guys, he's still a guy that if you stick him out week one, you risk causing problems by basically making him you 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 end up i think it's one of the things where if you're put in a position when you're not ready to deal with it you end up learning back traits that are coping traits rather than anything else like and i think that there is some value to that like i, I know daryl williams got a lot of um noise when he was in carolina but like right. daryl williams was the king of just like coping protections like yeah. you, you watch his snaps and like he had he had clearly decided before the snap began he was going to lose that rep and all of his <laughs> game was just about dragging out that loss for as long as possible and, hey. and that is a and that is a real skill 
to like he would just completely <laughs> abandon any like you, you, you see tackles do it all Man. the time it's basically i'm gonna lose this speed rush so i'm just gonna make sure it lasts long rather than trying to get <laughs> and because the thing you really want to avoid as a tackle is having the talk the corner turned on you you don't want to get the guy outside of you and start coming back towards the cornerback because then you're just done there's just nothing you can do but hold at that point right. and and what daryl williams was really good at was was recognizing when he was losing the rep and just yeah. making that loss drag out rather than like just just rather than trying to win it and and end up losing it faster he would just submit to the loss but make sure it took longer and that was a really that was that's it took me a while to realize but that is actually a really useful trait but it's, it's not really, it's not what you want your sixth overall pick to be learning as a rookie is that is the point though no you I mean it's, it's I'm I'm dying inside because there have been like few players that I actually like have hated more um to watch than Daryl Williams. And and I know, you know, at one point he was like a you know a really good, you know, like uh, right tackle. I think that was before Moulton took over. That was when they didn't allow him to play one-on-one pass rushing reps. Yeah. Like, like if, if any obvious passing situation, he was just helped. He got a double team. Like every, yeah. every single time they just double teamed in pass rep. Man, and, and it just, and then to see him in 2019 was like, oh my God, like to have him out there at left tackle, and I still remember that Tampa Bay game and yep. how he got harassed. And what you said, you know, making those reps last long. I, I saw him at one point with his back turned to, to Shaquille Barrett or somebody. And he looked like a, a basketball player just trying to box out for a rebound rather than block. And it was just so horrendous. But I don't care. I'm, I'm not going to talk about him. I just – and when you explained it, I was like, that's exactly what he was doing. He was just extending a losing rep, and it, and it was painful. So he, he was to be fair to him he like it's, it's one thing to be like that is genuinely a skill though like i think there are like greg little who i think was a much more talented player never yeah. learned that greg he little when he lost he lost badly because he never he never <laughs> learned the skill of i'm losing this rep i just need to drag it out yeah he, and he lost quickly he lost quickly yeah, and decisively yeah. and it was yeah because he, ne- he never recognized when it was lost and tried to win it rather than drag like and, and, and that is the thing like I, I think it is worth recognizing players who have these skills because yeah. they, they, you know, if Greg Little had had that skill, we'd have been talking about a completely different player. Yeah. Well, you know, well, well okay. You know, so I don't know what's going to happen as we record this. You know, there are, there are, no, there are rumors or reports that we are targeting Dwayne Brown, you know, and so he would come in, he would be in a trench left tackle, you know, if not for a year, maybe a year or two kind of like Okun was in 2020, yeah. but, you know, more of a run-focused, power-run type guy who fits this scheme. I like him better um, because of his, you know, he has a better health profile than Okun had in yeah. 2020. And so um, I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing something, saying that we've signed him, we've finalized that. And, you know, in that, in that scenario, that would have Dwayne Brown at left tackle. Um, you have Brady Christensen possibly at left guard. Yeah. You have Bradley Bozeman at center. You would have Austin Colbert at right guard, and you would have Taylor Moten at right tackle, correct? Yeah. And that okay. is a perfectly functional above average line, particularly if you're in a power run setting. Like, yeah. I, I'm excited for that line, actually. Yeah. I mean, I actually want that to happen. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I think that would be and crucially it gives you long term flexibility too. Like it, yeah. I mean, I I mean, just to be fair, you know, to the listeners that follow me on Twitter. I have really been leaning um, into um, trying to get uh, Armstead, you know, as our left tackle. Um, but we had, you know, some some discussion before we start recording, and 
um, Dwayne Brown might be a better fit. I'm open to that, you know. I, but but hey, look, yeah. you know, just, just to keep it real with with Panthers culture, you know, I still would be very happy with Teron Armstead being a left tackle too. But I do like the way that this aligns, and and I'm I'm looking forward to either guy, you know, being that left tackle. But I like the way the overall offensive line looks right now. I think yeah, I, I I think the thing with Armstead is it's not that he's a worse player; it's just that. That would be a different move in terms of it's it's a just that's that that is a we are committing to this player for the next five years type move, yeah, yeah. and and, and I, I think there is particularly where the Panthers are now there is value in okay let's give you some pieces to try and prove you can coach this team, and we're, yeah. we're not we're not investing in you long term just yet but we're not going to sort of just throw you to the wolves like we're doing the business to allow you to show you can be a competent coach because you know this offensive line is an offensive line you can win games with. It might not yeah. be an offensive line that wins you, you know, a Super Bowl, but it's an offensive line that should be, you know, teams could comfortably have winning records with this offensive line. And that's not something you could have said last year. Yeah, um, I mean, actually, if this line comes together, it probably would be the best Panthers line I've seen in quite some time. Yeah, probably since 2015, which was a yeah. similar, which was, I think was a similar set of players. I mean, it had some younger players in it, but like, you know, it was an offensive line of like, you know, competent players who weren't going to go out and win you a Super Bowl, but weren't, you know, going to completely lose you games either, yeah. barring, barring Von Miller versus Remmers. So, I mean, in terms of, you know, we don't have a quarterback. You know, we could have a, a left tackle by the time this airs, but we still don't have a quarterback. And I'm assuming, you know, that there are you know, still very few options out there in free agency or via trade, but, you know, they might be looking towards the draft. That's a different yeah. episode. Um, you know, but so we talked about, you know, bringing guys back like Zilstra. You know, we, we signed him or extended him. Um, you know, we brought guys back like Chandler, Sean Chandler, you know, who played safety for us last year. I wasn't too excited about he he allowed that. a he allowed a perfect perfect passer rating in coverage last year. That's what I'm saying. So to me, you know, to me he's a Sean special Chandler, teams player. He's a special teams player in a in a in a, in a very skinny linebacker trying to play safety. <laughs> but you know, but he's a rule guy. And yeah. um and, and so like, I think J- Julian Stanford is another guy who is, you know, he's not an NFL linebacker, but he's a really good special teams player. And, and, and you know, th- there is some value in those guys. I don't think any of, like, a lot of the moves they've made are not committing guys to the 53. They're just yeah. keeping that door open and putting them on the 90. Yeah, and, and and I can I can live with that. You know, some of these guys that they brought back could still end up being cut, you know, yeah. with not very much loss. Um, you know, one of the signings that they brought back was something that I think, um, was out of necessity was uh, Marquise Haynes. Yeah. So he's back in the fold. Um, and, they need, you know, they, 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 I think that's the, probably the, in terms of, you know, it would be nice to see them drop and sign a tackle, you know, in an ideal world, they'd sign a quarterback. I think right. they, the, the, the only need need they have right now is edge rusher. Yeah. Like I, 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 you know, I think Gross Matos has now space to earn a start. It doesn't have to be a starter, but I think their edge room is just Burns, Gross Matos, Haynes, and the guy they traded for Buffalo Buffalo last year who got injured and didn't really play, whose name yeah, I'm completely blanking on. Yeah, but, but they need at least, you know, to, to make it not a we have, you know, right now it would be hard to imagine them not drafting an edge rusher. And I think they need to sign somebody just so that they can afford to not draft an edge rusher. Yeah, and... and There's a lot of guys and, still available, so that's not an issue. But I think yeah, that's, we, that's, I mean, a, that's a must-do. Yeah, we can do it. I mean, I was overall pleased. I, I thought Haynes was one of those guys who, you know, when he when he had opportunity, especially in obvious uh, passing situations, he produced. You know, he got to the quarterback a lot. You know, and honestly, you know, if you don't pay attention to his numbers, uh, like the number on the back of the jersey, there were times where he was in the game where I saw him in pursuit where I thought it was Brian Burns until 
you know, the, the rim yeah. is open because he's he's super quick. You know, he has a good first step. He has a good spin move. Um, and, you know, and, 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 he, and he finishes. And so I like Haynes. No, he's not a, a starter, you know, but I think he's a good rotational piece to have on our particular defense. Um, you know, one guy that you mentioned, um, you know, that is going into his third year is Gross Matos. Looking yeah. forward to him stepping up, you know, across that defensive front. You know, like I, I, I thought, you know, he was a steal, you know, when we drafted him a couple of years ago. And, and now it's time for him to play up to that potential. He needs yeah. to stay healthy, you know, but he's a big guy. He can play outside and inside. And um, so it'd be nice for him to step into that role. But I, I think know, he's, who, I think he's in a similar position to, to, um, like in Terrace Marshall Jr. Yeah. Not obviously completely different positions, but I think it's the, you drafted a guy based on what he could become. And it's now entering the, you know, obviously Marshall Jr. has got less time in the NFL. So I think it's more pressing for Gross Matos, but it's time for him to start becoming that. And I think he's shown progress, but I think it's the it's the difference between like, okay, you're a useful third, fourth, fifth defensive end to like, you can be a, you know, if you draft someone in the second round, you want them to be someone who is starting or at least yeah. playing 60, 70% of the snaps. Yeah. And currently he's not that. And I think it's, you know, I think there's a lot of guys, there's a lot of players on the Panthers roster who are currently in this position, but the you've shown promise, now you need to show consistent production. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You have to have like a 12-sack season or anything, but you need to be a guy who can be relied on to play 60% of the snaps at a high right. quality, or even 40 or 50% of the snaps at a high quality. And, and, and that's where I'm, that's what I'm looking for out of him. You know, he does, he had the versatility to be inside and outside. It's kind of like uh, F.A. Obada was. Uh, but he yeah. has way more upside, you know, and, and so I want to see the upside, you know, like they drafted you to be better than that. Uh, we saw what F.A. Abada just did with sheer determination and, you know, and, and desire F- to be a football F- player. F.A. F- is a, I think, I think F.A. was a defensive end who got forced to try and be a three tech because they ran out of three techs. I, right. I think F.A. is a better athlete than people realize. Like he, he, if you go back and watch like his first season, um, where it was at the 20, I can't remember if it was 2019 or 2018 when he was started playing. I think it was 2018. 20, 2018. If yeah. you watch him, because he was just playing straight defensive end that year. Yeah. And like he had a pretty good speed rush. Like, you know, yeah. FA F- 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 was just like a, a pure, like he was a bit undersized maybe, but like he was a, he was like a more of a Brian Burns type speed rusher who right. had a frame that they added more weight to because they needed interior pass rushers. And became yeah. a legitimately good interior part. He was good at that too. Like, yeah. I, I, and, and, and but, but on the interior, it is more of like he has a rip move and a lot of effort, basically. Yeah. Um, so I, I think Gross Matos is a more natural interior hybrid guy. Um, yeah. But I, yeah, no, he he needs to. I think he just needs to continue to develop technically. Yeah. No, and and I, and I think I think he actually can, and so I'm I'm looking forward to that. But yeah. I think we addressed. Almost all the free agents. I know we didn't yeah, mention Van Gonzalez, but I think you know bringing yeah. him back and solidifying the kicker. I, I know that's been yeah. um, discussed by everybody, so you know happy that he's back too. Um, looking at what we've discussed, you know, are there like any other glaring areas of need on the team? Not really. I, I think quarterback would be, but I, I, there are so few guys left they can really make a move for. Edge yeah. rusher they need. Um, but other than that, you know, another linebacker would be nice, but that's that's about it. I think we're now getting towards the more filling out guys to compete for the 53. So more of like the sh- sh- bringing in guys to compete for 53 rather than guys who are definitely going to make uh, the 53, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. So that said, you know, we, we're at a point now where, you know, we, we know obviously we need to get better, you know, all over the roster. 
Um, you know, but you know, right now, if we can land the left tackle, QB is the most glaring need. Um, and you know, in the spirit of how we do this show, yeah. and <laughs> you know, where we you know where we kind of go from you know last priority of need to first priority of need. You know, last week we talked about running backs, and yeah. as you know, we had um, we added uh, Foreman. You know, to you know, to Chris McCaffrey and Chuba Hubbard. You know, so that that position group is at least on paper right now is solid. And so, you know, now we are transitioning to what we consider to be, um, you know, a low area of need for the team in the terms of what we're going to discuss for the upcoming draft, and that's the cornerback group. Yes. Um, there are a lot of good cornerbacks. Well, I won't say a lot of good cornerbacks, but you know, there are some. Good it's, 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 it's a fairly it's a fairly deep cornerback draft. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's deep, but. But you know, since we got J.C. Horn last year and we traded for C.J. Henderson and we just signed Dante, it's not like a a, a glaring area of need for the Panthers. But, no. you know, we address every group and we're going to go through the group with you all today. Um, Vincent, can you talk about the cornerback class and, you know, what, you know, who are the top prospects, you know, who might be overhyped and, and who would fit for the Panthers real quick? Yeah, so as we mentioned, this is this is not a big need for the Panthers. I think the, the Dante Jackson trade, um, sorry, the signing and the CJ Henderson trade and drafting Keith Taylor, Sam Thomas Oliver, Troy Pride, and JC Hall. <laughs> All of that. They, they've invested quite a bit in this position. They probably can't afford to invest anymore. Um, right. Barring you, know, you can always sign a draft guy in the seventh round or something to develop. So that's that's always the, the, the caveat. So I'll get to that at the end. But in terms of the top guys, I mean, for me, the top guy is Kair Alam. Um, apologies if I've pronounced that horribly, um, but the Florida corner, um, he's not perfect. He tends to stop his feet a bit early in routes, um, and, but his his recovery, speed and agility is just remarkable. Um, yeah. I don't think he's in that very, very top tier. I don't think, you know, he's probably of a similar kind of grade to JC Horn, maybe. He's definitely not in the Patrick Sertain tier of kind of pretty much complete guys. Um, but but he's very good cornerback prospect who I think with a little bit of polish can become a really really good cornerback. Yeah. Um, then there's then like a tier of sort of four guys who kind of are different things but are then in that sort of you know not quite pro ready but have potential to be really good. Um, the pick for me is probably of that sort of second tier is Roger McCreary, the Auburn corner. Um, he's not super big. He's got quite short arms and he's. Pro, does again needs to work on his like footwork very early in 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 plays from press, but is a plays a really high quality of man coverage, like right. uh, similar to JC Horn without the length basically. In that yeah. you know there you know has maybe a bit more upside in zone as well. And the JC Horn didn't isn't great at catching the ball, um, but but uh, he's a, just a really tough man coverage player. Plays a really aggressive form of man coverage. You know is probably going to get a hold here or there like JC Horn does, but but competes really well at the catch point despite his length really sticky man coverage player um i really liked him uh andrew booth jr the clemson guy him and i'll talk about derek stingley as well and they're kind of similar sort of tier they both have lots of really nice traits i think they need to sort of polish them a little um i think with with booth it was much about usage like i think he just he he, he played Clemson used him in a particular way a lot of the time. And I think he has a talent to play different ways, but I think he just needs more polish in how he's used. I think now, he's... Booth is, Booth is my guy. Um, yeah, yeah no, I, I, I've, I've, I've seen your tweets. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, Booth is my guy of this whole group. But you know, I'm just I'm just putting that out there just in case he becomes like the top one from this class. But uh, I, I think I think him and Stingley have as much potential as anyone in this class. I just think whereas whereas Elam, it's more about polishing what he already does. I think with Booth and Stingley, it's about really it, they could go to schemes that just use them the way they've been used and they'd probably be quite good right away. But there are other schemes where they're going to have to 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 be more versatile in their usage because they have the athletic traits. So yeah. the the other guy in this top group for me is 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 uh, Ahmad Gardner, so Source Gardner um, from Cincinnati. Oh. So yeah. hi, him and McCreary are like uh, are really specialists. I think McCreary has more zone versatility um, yeah. than than some like man cover corners. But McCreary is going to make his money in in man, and Gardner is going to make his money in zone. Um, oh. Booth and Stingley can make their money in both. They just both need right. more polish. Um, right. So, so um, Ahmed Gardner, Source Gardner, um, it, it is really long, really good movement skills for his size, but there's still that bit of, you know, every long cover three corner gets compared to Richard Sherman. Um, yeah. But it's that, but it, at least in terms of the limitations, like if you play him in man coverage all the time, that's just not what he does. Like he right. can do it fairly well in the same way that Richard Sherman was probably a better man coverage player than, yeah. than people remember. But yeah. his real value is going to be his ability, his length, his ball skills, and his movement skills in in zone, and particularly in cover three and cover four. Um, yeah, I, I think I think Richard Sherman's you know man coverage. Not to go too deep into that, you know, but I think it's because Seattle only played him on one side of the field, hmm. and so you know even when he played man, you only saw him play it like you know in in you know in in, in certain situations, and yeah, it, was it was like it's very limited. Really, yeah, so you didn't get to see him like follow a receiver across the field and do it. You saw him on that one side, and they would play in zone so much to where when they played man, you know, you know, it might have been for like one play in a, in a series or, you know, just a few plays in the game, and you really yeah. didn't get a chance to see his skills. You know, they they, they kind of hype sauce up, you know, to be more of a dog, and so you would think that he would be a guy who would mirror a guy, you know, the top receiver from another team, and you know, follow him across the field. But I I, I didn't see him play enough to know if he's truly like that or not. I, I think in a way, I th- so there are cover three corners who are cover three only corners. Yeah. Um, like I, we'll talk about it in a second, but like both the Washington corners for me are pretty much cover three only. Um, yeah. Like I think if either of them play lots of man coverage, they're just going to get cooked. Um, I, I think Gardner can play man coverage. I don't think, mm-hmm. he, I don't think that's the strength of his game. In the same yeah. way that like, I think JC Horn can play zone coverage. That's just right. not the strength of that's his game. Strength. Yeah, but but you know that that's that's different from being like just a man only corner or a zone only corner. I think Source Gardner is kind of the. I don't think he's as good as JC Horn, but I think right. he's kind of the zone inverse where he's a zone corner, but who can legitimately play man. And so JC Horn is a man corner who can legitimately play zone. I, I think Source Gardner's more of more of that kind of thing. I, I think there's you know he needs more polish. I think almost all, you know, usually talking like running back to cornerback, running back is one of the positions that translates most directly. Like there, you know, there are some different systems like route running and, and pass protection, but like the running the ball bit is fairly, translates fairly directly. Cornerback is not that. Corner, right. Cornerback often, lots of college schemes do the same thing, like 80% of the time, 90% of the time do the same coverages or the same couple of coverages. Yeah. The NFL, you can't do that unless you're a scheme that does one thing like extraordinarily well. Um, yeah. you, you you really have to 
uh, you know, you, you have to be versatile to 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 play um, to play corner in the NFL, and most college schemes don't ask them to do that. So, like, there's a lot of projection at corner, and basically, you just want like teachable athletes for the master. Unless you're getting one of those top tier guys, you just want teachable athletes. Yeah. Um, so, I, I think all of the guys we mentioned can be very good corners. It's just some of them will require more development than others, and some of them are more versatile than others. In terms of the overhyped guys, just transitioning very quickly, as I know we we are running quite long. Um, right. I think both the guys I mentioned, so Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon, the Washington corners, mm-hmm. I, I don't think they're bad players. I think they're both like mid-round pick type guys, but I think they are both like zone corners who maybe can play some man coverage here and there. But if you're going to play a lot of man, I think they're both going to get cooked, um, right. particularly against good cornerbacks. Like, you know, it, it, they can probably be number two corners on like zone heavy, like not necessarily like 80% zone, but zone predominant schemes. And I think yeah. they'll be fine, but I don't think they're number one corners, and I don't think they're going to succeed in man no, no, succeed in man coverage really. Um, yeah. Particularly Gordon, I think Gordon. I, I saw I can't remember who it was, but someone described him as a really good athlete, and I think he's a does some really athletic things, but also has quite tight hips. And like when you watch him try and transition laterally, if he's just done, if he's just you know turn and run, cover three type stuff, he's fine. But if yeah. he starts playing off coverage and he has to start changing direction. He, you know, he's, he's not he, he, that. no, that's not his thing. Yeah. Um, the other guy is Darion Kendrick. Um, his stock has tanked since the combine um, because did he went a four seven nine. Yep. And if I'm honest, I mean the four seven nine was a bit surprising. I don't think he looks that slow on tape. But <laughs> but it's one of those things where you watch him on tape and you think this guy's not a good athlete. Like yeah. we, we we talked about last week with Kyron Williams, the running back from Notre Dame, yeah. who, te- who tested badly. And yeah. I think the thing is, like, you watch Kyron Williams on tape and you don't think this guy's a great athlete, but you think this guy's a decent athlete. And I think right. he's he is his tape shows him to be more athletic than his testing numbers. Um, yeah. In the same way, like, like Roger McCreary, I think you watch on tape and think this guy isn't an amazing athlete, but he's an above average athlete and his testing is that of an above average athlete. And I think that's kind of fine. Kendrick's tape is of a bad athlete and his testing is terrible. Like, <laughs> I, 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 you watch him and you think this guy cannot move well. He is not agile. He's not quick. He is not explosive. Like, he, he is... And you can that you can get away without being an elite corner, you know, elite yeah. athlete at corner in the NFL. But yeah. but he is an a, his tape is that of a legitimately bad athlete, and his testing is that of a legitimately bad athlete. And I think it he does he does good things, but I think his athleticism is like non-starter level bad. Like you just you yeah. you can't be that your movement skills and speed cannot be that poor and play, well, play think, corner in the NFL. I think he's been you know a lot of height, you know just. I think he was a big time um, prospect coming out of high school and going to Clemson. And then, you know, I know he transferred from Clemson to, to UGA. Um, and I, I think he just had a lot of name hype, you know, just because of, you know, how he was recruited, where he was, where he was recruited to. Um, and, you know, he came to UGA, you know, he was on a, a star studded team. And so I don't know if he had a chance to really be exposed, um, you know, I, on that right. He seemed like he played. I remember him being better at Clemson than he than he looked than the tape showed him to be at Georgia. I don't know yeah. whether he's. I, I, yeah, I should point out I, he might have had some injury that I just don't know about, and it has caused him to both test poorly and play unathletically. Because the tape I watched was mostly late season stuff right. when they were playing the big games. Yeah, but but uh, he, I, I, I mean he did his job late. I mean I saw I saw the you know like the bowl season you know where you know like the playoff season where I think you know he played well in the games. That I saw him play. He does. I don't his, know if that translates to the NFL though. He does his job. He has good ball skills and he knows where to be, and he's a fairly smart player. Uh, right. uh, but he's just 
Does he remind you of um not I know they play different positions, but in terms of how they test it versus how they play, does he remind you of how Gordon was a couple years ago from Tennessee? You know, the one that we picked up. Um Rashawn Gordon. Not really. I mean, I remember I don't he didn't test that well either. No, I I I maybe similarly. I think Golden was more of uh I think Golden was smaller. Wasn't he? He was smaller. Yeah, he was smaller. And, and he was the guy that you looked at and thought, I could see this guy playing safety. Like, I don't right. think he's a corner, but I can see him playing safety. Right. I, I, I think the thing with Kendrick is I, I think he has some traits that would work at safety. I just don't know whether he's got, whether he, whether he, may, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, there, it's one of those things where, like, there are definitely things he does well, but I yeah. cannot see how he works in an NFL defense at a high level. And, and don't be wrong. I just point out maybe some defensive coordinator has got a very clear how how they use Kendrick and yeah. they're going to draft him and they're going to use him in a very specific way and it's going to be great. Um, yeah. And I think there's one of the things with that's really hard with grading guys is how good a guy is is only really relevant when you put him into a scheme. And some guys are great in every scheme. Like Luke Kuechly could have just played anywhere and he'd have been great. But yeah. like, you know, Micah Parsons is a very good player. And we talked about him last year. Yeah. But Dallas used him perfectly. Like well, you, if you'd have gone more, if you would have got a less imaginative coordinator who'd just gone, yeah, we're gonna drop him into zone, he's just gonna play yeah. underneath the zone seven percent of the time. He is right. just at that point, he is an above average player, but but he but he's a in that sort of yeah, he's fine kind of tier. Yeah. Whereas you know, he can play man coverage well and he can rush the passer really well. So and you know what surprised him that way. Yeah, what surprised me was the way that they used him not to get off subject. You know, it's just that, you know, obviously Micah Parsons was my darling last year. I was surprised that Dan Quinn actually used him so versatilely, you know, like the way they did, because Dan Quinn, you know, coming from the Seattle days, ran a very basic defense, you know, where yeah. everybody just played their roles. And you know, like if you was middle linebacker like Bobby Wagner, that's what you did. You know, you didn't go play edge, you know, so the fact but, that he used in both ways was really cool. But I, I think the really impressive thing there, or impressive and interesting, probably equally made, but like, it's not that they just blitzed him a lot from middle linebacker. Yeah. They they just went, right, okay, you are, you are now, on these downs, you play middle linebacker, on these downs, you're going to go and play edge rusher, and you're just going right. to play, it's a bit like Jeremy Chin. And yeah. Like, we're not going to try and use you in all these weird, you know, we're not going to try and fudge your role. We're just going to go like some downs you do this and some yeah. downs you do that. And they're just entirely different things and you learn yeah. positions. And I, I think that is, that is perfect for who Michael Parsons is because I think the, the big knock on him and the reason why I didn't have him as like a top 10 prospect was the like, if you go to a zone heavy scheme and you don't have that coordinator, yeah. his zone coverage is, you know, it's below average. Yeah. Like, like, was it Murray, the guy who the Chargers drafted a few years ago, the linebacker um, um, from Oklahoma? Are you talking about, uh, I, I know, number seven. Yeah, yeah, Mur Kenneth Murray. Yeah. Kenneth Murray, yeah. yeah. I don't think he's as good as Parsons, but it's a similar thing of like, you know, he's, he, he can play some man coverage and he's a good athlete, but he's not, like, just the, the, the upper tier instincts you want for a guy to make a big impact in zone just aren't there. And, yeah. and I would love to have seen... It would have been interesting to see what Murray would have done, who I had a fairly similar grade on, if he'd yeah. have gone to a scheme that had gone like, okay, don't worry about this whole dropping into zone coverage thing. It's passing down, so you're lining up on the edge and you're rushing, rushing the passer. Yeah, we got and, a weapon. Yeah, yeah. And, I don't, and I don't think he would have been as good at that as as, as Michael Parsons, but it would just... Right. I, I think one thing that gets lost in all this is just where guys go makes a massive difference to how their yeah, careers yeah. turn out. Like who yeah, they are yeah. as prospects and who they are as pros, a huge amount of that is just where they end up. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's all about, you know, the creativity of the coordinator, you know, like 
if the defensive coordinator is good enough to take somebody with traits and say, you know what, we're going to make a play out of you because of your traits. Like, you know, that's what happened with, and not to get too far off of Kendrick, you know, who was speaking on, but um, Jason Norway, you know, from Penn State, you know, we yeah. didn't have him last year either, but he ran a 4 3 9 or something. Yeah, yeah, he's a great athlete. Yeah, and yeah. we didn't we didn't know if it was going to translate. Nobody knew if he was going to translate to a good player at the NFL level. But I think um, what's my guy's name? Wink Martindale from Baltimore. Um, he I think he used him, you know, I, for straight. I think Martindale uses everyone in the same way, which is we're just going to get you to blitz, and we're just yeah. you know, yeah. It, it, I I don't think he's but actually, he actually had more production at the NFL level than he did in college, you know, yeah. because of, they turned him loose, you know. Um, yes. So, you know, with, with Darion Kendra, you know, the way that you're speaking on him, you know, he didn't test well, um, like you said, and, you know, and, and but, you know, he, he always found, he always found himself in the right position when he played, you know, and he may not translate, you know, to the NFL well, but he could go somewhere where somebody can, can put him in good position, you know, for who he is, and it may, maybe turns into something we don't know. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's, that's who you have for over height. Yeah. So, you know, of all the cornerbacks, and I know that we probably won't draft one, but, um, you know, just looking at, you know, the cornerback class, you know, who who would be a good fit for the Panthers, you know, probably later in the draft or something. I think the one guy that kind of stands out to me is Kalen Barnes, who is a, another Baylor guy, um, which obviously is very Matt Rule brand. Um, he, was, he was fast at the. At I, the I think as I think is he's a really good athlete, and it shows yeah. on tape he looks like a good athlete, and he does yeah. other things well. It's just he just hasn't put it all together. And okay. don't me wrong, he could very well never put it all together. Right. But if you're spending a seventh round pick on a corner, you know you might as well go for like you know the guy who has the traits but just hasn't worked it out yet. Like you. Know, you think us, Barnes will last that long? You think he'll last until seventh round? Uh, who knows? I currently, I think that's where he's been mocked a bit. I mean, it's, it, it takes it's one thing. It takes one team to have him in the thir- first round for him to go in the first round. Right. Like right. you know, it, you know, all, all, <laughs> the, the Packers have proved you don't have to listen to what anyone else says when it comes to draft stock. Um, yeah. Andre Dillard. Um, but but uh, I think it was Andre Dillard, was it? No, not Andre Dillard. I'm talking no. about um, um, Dillon. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, Andre Dillard was the tackle. Um, but yes, yeah, you, you, you know, it just takes one team to have a much higher grade and it completely changes everything. Um, but I, I, I think Barnes is, you know, he is a late round prospect. Or, sorry, yeah. he, he should be a late round prospect, but he's a late round prospect that makes sense for a team that has no need to play him anytime soon. Yeah. You know, sensibly, the Panthers could do what they, I mean, Stan Thomas Oliver did stay on the roster the whole time, but he's right. the kind of guy that I could see a team drafting in the seventh round, cutting, signing to their practice squad, and maybe elevating later in the year. Um, you know, I mean, to bring up that point, and it's, it's something that you mentioned, you know, STO stayed on the roster, um, you know, for two years now after being like a seventh round pick, right? Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's emerged as a fairly core special teams player. Like, yeah, and 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 in years past with the Panthers, you know, like a lot of those late round picks didn't stick to the roster. So uh, no, Hoskins is another guy. I mean, he got hurt, yeah, again, but Hoskins made it all the way through. He made it all the way through. And I remember, like, you know, in in the in the Herney years, you know, if you were like a you know fifth, sixth, seventh round pick, you know, then your chances of making the roster was slim. And so, um, and so, you know, one thing rule and snow, you know, they have proven to do is that if they draft you, even if they draft you late, they will give you an opportunity to, the, you know, to, to develop. I haven't seen a lot of development 
but they give you time. <laughs> and yeah. so uh, and so they they've got time. So, you know, for guys that like you mentioned, like, you know, this Kalen Barnes guy, like I, I saw him, I think he had some, you know, he, he had some fast times. Um, and, and and I think, you know, that's the that's the Baylor and that was Rules brand down at Baylor. He drafted a lot of um, freakish, you know, metric guys. Yeah, I think he, I think just just on Barnes, I think he does also have other course. Like he's, it's not there are guys who are fast but can't move. He can also move as well. I think yeah. is the encouraging thing. Yeah, and so you know we'll we'll see. You know, like I said, you know this this episode episode two, you know was 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 in the middle of free agency. So we spend a lot of time talking about the um, the free agency. Um, the first week of free agency, uh, we talked about the guys we picked up, the ones we extended. Um, and so, you know, I, I think, you know, the focus this week was more about that than about the the group, you know, but, you know, corner is always an important group for any building team. It's just that we've already addressed our cornerback room extensively. Um, yes. You know, the, the guys that we mentioned. Very you know, extensively. Yeah, the, you know, we, you know, there's some good players in this class, you know, highlighted by um, Booth. Gardner, Stingley, um, they all should be, you know, good NFL players. It's just that we don't need them right now. And, um, you know, but, you know, you could get a guy later on, like a Darion Kendrick um, or somebody like Kalen Barnes, you know, who, you know, is just the best player available, you know, in day three. And so, you know, we'll see what happens with that. But that is going to pretty much wrap up episode two. Um, you know, thank you all for listening. Um, you know, we are going into week two of free agency. You know, so a lot of things could happen between now and the time this airs and probably a lot is going to happen between, well, I won't say a lot, you know, but, you know, we'll, we have a better sense of, you know, what our free agency hall is going to look like by the time we, we do episode three. And so, um, but thank you all for, for taking time to, to listen to the episode. Um, if you enjoy what we have to say, again, please, you know, rate it um subscribe if you haven't already um you know we we love the interaction we get with you all every week you know we love the love that you share you know we we don't take any of that lightly um you know so you know thank you for for uh, spending time with us you know through this season of the draft and and free agency um you have anything as a closing thought vincent no not really i think that's that's everything for me okay well you know where to find us you know i'm at panthers culture on Twitter, Vincent is at the Richardson 444 on Twitter. You know, feel free to reach out, engage. Um, we like to, to glean from you all too. So it's been real. Episode two down. See you next week. Goodbye, guys.